With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding. Yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet was a true man of peace. Muhammad, one of the most revered personalities of this age. To many, he was the most influential man ever to have graced this earth. The final prophet of God, the perfect man who brought the most perfect religion. However, today we live in a world which has been divided by various interpretations of his life. A world which is perplexed by the behavior of those who attribute his name to their actions. Who was Muhammad? What did his life stand for? To find out, read the life of Muhammad by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, the second successor of the promised Messiah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. And welcome to another edition of Around the Table. I'm delighted to have with me our regular panelists, Mr. Atik Ahmed Bhatti, Safir Ahmed, and Ahmed Salamullah. Assalamu alaikum, gentlemen. It's good to have you with us again uh, in this program where we continue our discussion on revolutions and great revolutionaries. It's an absolute pleasure and privilege to be talking on this particular subject. If you followed our previous programs, you would have uh, known that um, giving an introduction onto this subject and we've chosen uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him as the greatest revolutionary man has ever seen and we've described some of the the qualities in our earlier programs but inshallah God willing we will uh, try to expand on some of the reasons and rationale why we've chosen him as our greatest revolutionary uh, in the early programs, we set out the scene by describing uh, the state of uh, Arabia at the time. So this is 570 CE. The Prophet Muhammad is born in the town of Mecca. His father passes away a few months before his birth. Uh, and his mother passes away a couple of years or a few years after his birth. He's looked after by his grandfather, Hazrat Abdul Muttalib. And sadly, his grandfather also passes away. And thereafter, he's looked after by his uncle, Abu Talib. He um, belongs to a, uh, a noble tribe, the Quraysh. And his uncle, Abu Talib, is a tradesman. And he takes uh, Muhammad, peace be upon him, on a number of uh, trade expeditions in his youth uh, to Syria and beyond. And at the age of 25, um, he has a proposal from uh, one of the most wealthy ladies of Mecca, who uh, is in charge of a lot of the trade caravans that are sent out at that time. Uh, her name is Khatija, and she's 40 years old. 
Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, at that age is 25. And he uh, accepts the proposal and they get married. And he lives uh, a life uh, with her, but uses the wealth that she has to help the poor, the dispossessed, the those in need uh, and want. And he's, even at that young age, taken to seclusion and meditation and uh, goes to a nearby mountain or a cave in a nearby mountain, the cave of Hira. And at the age of 40, he receives the divine revelation. The archangel Gabriel descends and conveys the message of God Almighty to the prophet Muhammad. And let's start from there, shall we, Adik? Um, prophet Muhammad is at the age of 40. As I said, he spends time in isolation, in meditation, and this happens to him. Can you just share with our listeners that experience and what exactly happens? Yes, I mean, this experience has been covered in great detail by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, um, and also his uh, brother who wrote book comprising of three volumes uh, on the character and the life uh, story or the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And you know, when one reads something so profound, um, it really is, um, you know, very emotional. But also when we look now, after 1400 years plus, um, how something started in a cave um, and where it is today. Um, so. We know that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he would regularly retreat to the cave of Hira. And here, um, as a young man, he would engage himself in the worship of God in a manner of his own. And here we also find that the commencement of true dreams had begun. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, spent six months in this very state. It was now that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had reached the age of 40, as you've, as you've mentioned. And his disposition had attained um, maturity. And it was among these last 10 days of the blessed month of Ramadan um, that the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was in the cave of Hera. And he was, of course, engaged in the worship of God. And suddenly, an unfamiliar being appeared before him. Now, we must remember that this was 1400 years ago, um, you know, when we didn't have um, perhaps the understanding that we did now. So for the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, to physically see a being appear um, in front of him was, was quite shocking. Um, this divine messenger who was, um, who the Muslims believe as the Archangel Gabriel, peace be upon him, uh, the angel of God addressed the prophet and said, speak or convey to the people. And to this, the prophet said that I cannot read, meaning I cannot bear this responsibility. And when the angel heard this reply, he took hold of the prophet and tightly pressed him against his breast. And after releasing him said, uh, read. Um, but the response of the prophet again remained the same. On the third attempt, the angel took hold of him again and firmly squeezed him. And after releasing him, said, um, recite in the name of thy Lord. Um, now, this divine messenger, uh, this divine messenger, Gabriel, took hold of the prophet a third time and clinched him very tightly, as I've said, um, such as by embracing the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, to leave almost like an impression upon his heart. And after having confirmed that the disposition of the Prophet was ready to accept this message, he released the Prophet and he said, Read thou in the name of thy Lord who created. He created man from a clot of blood. I read, and thy Lord is most honourable and eminent, who taught man by the pen, taught man what he knew not. And thereafter, the dialogue, the angel disappeared. But the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah upon him, was left in a very uh, deep state of anxiety and restlessness, um, as one can, you know, imagine. And his heart was panting. Um, and this is when he returned from Cave Hira 
and informed uh, Hazrat Khatija, his wife, and we covered that in the last episode. So that's, um, you know, what happened in that cave on that blessed night. So this is when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he returned home and he said to Khatija, may Allah be pleased with her, that cover me with a mantle, cover me with a mantle. And when Hazrat Khatija witnessed the state of her beloved husband, she came, became very worried and quickly covered the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, with a mantle. And when he was somewhat calmed and his anxiety had lessened, the Holy Prophet related this entire event to her. And he said, I have begun to fear for my life. But Hazrat Khatija loved and believed in the Prophet. This is the reason she married him in the first place, where the proposal for marriage had gone, because he was so honest, he was so pure, he was so kind, he was so humble. Um, you know, there was perfection in this one being raised by God Almighty for the good of mankind. And she comforted him. And at this time, um, she also took the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to her cousin, uh, Waraka bin Nafal, who was a, was a Christian um, at that time. And he also gave the Prophet a glad tiding. Um, he said, uh, if I recount here, uh, when Khatija reached there with the Prophet um, to the residence of um, Waraka bin Nafal, she said, brother, would you kindly listen to my nephew? And he said, yes, what is the matter? And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, related the entire uh, occurrence. And when Waraka heard the entire account, he said, this is the same angel who brought revelation to Moses. Oh, would that I had power, would that I remain alive until your people banish you from your homeland. Um, and he said, uh, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked um, Waraka bin Nafal that, shall my people banish me? To this he replied, yes, no prophet came with whom his people did not harbor enmity. And if I remain alive until that time, I shall assist you to the utmost of my capability. So, you know, this is how, uh, this is the state and the encounter of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will be upon him in Cape Hera, and how he related the incident to his uh, blessed wife, Hazrat Khatija. And, and, and that's where we are. And I think that incident in particular, the one that you ended with in relation to Waraka bin Nafal, is quite significant. Because he was a man who'd um, turned away from the idolatry of the time and moved towards, after a deep study, towards Christianity. Um, and he he had the knowledge of how messengers in the past, according to the revealed texts, had been treated. And he responded to the Prophet of Islam to the to the to the extent that um, he was telling him that there would be uh, a time when his people would turn his back on him or that they might even banish him. So it's also, if you think, you know, we're looking at this series in the context of Muhammad, peace be upon him, being a revolutionary. And one, one aspect of being a revolutionary is that you're, you're seeking to change things. And one thing that you are, you may be seeking to change, or one thing that he, he certainly end up, did end up seeking to change or did end up changing was uh, the power structure in the society. So I think Waraka's, um, insight was quite profound at that point in time. He knew that he was going to change something fundamental for this society to, to the extent that he would be um, opposed and the people would banish him or turn their backs to him. So I think that's quite a profound and important observation early on, very, very early on in the Prophet of Islam's career. Thank you, Safi. Um Atik, so we have uh, the first revelation and then um, we're told in a number of uh, biographies and narrations that there is a cessation of revelation for a period um, and and that worries the Holy Prophet uh, slightly in that he he's uh, thinking well was it a one-off incident and, and so on can you just elaborate for the benefit of our listeners that period of cessation um, yes it's uh, referred to as in Arabic as Fatra uh, de Wahi and after um, the first revelation in Cave Hira, which we've uh, spoken about, um, the descent of revelation came to a temporary halt and remained as such for, uh, you know, there was a certain period as, as far as time is concerned. Now, approximately, according to a narration related by 
uh, Ibn Abbas, he mentioned um, as 40 days. Um, but if we say for us for a temporary period of time here, this period of time is known as the time of Fatrat, and it was as if uh, the illumination of the sun of apostleship, uh, apostleship was seen, and then it disappeared. So what, what this basically means was that, you know, this uh, magnificent occurrence where uh, the angel Gabriel descended and, was, you know, was in front of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings will be upon him, asking him to recite um, the words. And then after this revelation, uh, you know, there was this period of uh, 40 days, as mentioned in the narration, or however many days that were there before the second revelation. Um, and it was like the sun had come out and then it had gone gone again, or there was darkness again. Um, it, it, interestingly enough, in one of the books on the character of the prophet and, and his history, it says that a droplet of water fell upon the parched lips of the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, but then the clouds dispersed. Now, the prophet himself spent these days, these, you know, 40-odd days, uh, in a state of grave anxiety and restlessness, day and night, while sitting, while standing, uh, and the same thought actually preoccupied him. God knows what this affair is and what is to happen hereafter. So this was not a time, perhaps, where the prophet was saying, oh, I had this revelation and now it stopped, but rather the thought of what would come after uh, and how big this responsibility was, um, was uh, he was overtaken by this. Thank you, Adik. And then after this um, short period um, of cessation of revelation, there is this second magnificent revelation that uh, descends upon the Holy Prophet. Yes, absolutely. The period of Fatrat al-Wahi is concluded when um, he received a revelation, another revelation, indicating that the revelations weren't going to come, hadn't concluded, but merely they'd just begun. And the revelation is captured in chapter 74, uh, verse uh, 2 to 6 of the Holy Quran, and the part of which is, um, uh, O thou that has wrapped thyself with thy mantle, arise and wake others in the name of God, and thy Lord do thou magnify and thy heart do thou purify, and abstain from all forms of polytheism. And after this, then, con constant descent of revelation began. Um, that was quite, it's quite a profound verse in many ways, because it's instructing the Prophet of Islam not to remain silent, is that he his role is now to convey uh, the name of God to his people, um, and uh, to continue to glorify him, and to continue to purify oneself and then to reiterate at the end to abstain from all forms of polytheism um, underlining the fact that Islam is to be a, a purely monotheistic religion to reiterate that point time and again um, so that's the, the the foundation upon which uh, the prophet begins his career as a preacher mm, thank you Sophie. and and to our listeners it it may come as a surprise that the Holy Quran, the Holy Book of Muslims, wasn't revealed all in one go, but over a period of 23 years uh, and revelation after revelation uh, came, uh, espousing certain topics and subject matter, etc., etc. So we have this early uh, instance of revelation and the Holy Prophet uh, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then starts to talk to his close relatives because at that moment he he perceives that the message is is for his close relatives his family his tribesmen and uh, those uh, the circle close to him yes very much so um so he's received the instruction that he has to preach and to convey what he does know or what has uh, he claims has been revealed to him to those that are near to him. So he begins in earnest. But before uh, touching on just just exactly who he does convey that message to, it's perhaps worth noting just what, as you say, just to your point that Islam was revealed over a period of 23 years and um, designed to be a comprehensive code for all aspects of, of life for human beings um, from birth through to death and what comes with beyond. Uh, so obviously he couldn't have 
all of that information in in the in the short space of time he had revelation to this point so there was a very few basic principles upon which um he would convey that message to those near and dear to him and they can be summarized in three pr pretty um simple principles and actually the the first three things that he begins to preach upon are actually um so profound and so fundamental that every other aspect of islam can really be connected to it and perhaps you'll be able to to see that or maybe we can discuss after i just outline them so the very first and foremost one which we've touched on already is that um uh, the religion of islam is one of unity of god um the creator and the lord of the world is one god all of his being and attributes is alone and unassociated so fundamentally different to the polytheistic nature of the Quraysh, the, the arabs of the time of whom muhammad came from peace be upon him um and Beyond that, not only is God one, but he's um, everlasting. He's lived, he's existed from time immemorial and shall remain forever unchanging. Um, and so this was the fundamental, the first principle. Secondly, um, the other principle that he presents is that there's a purpose to this life. Um, and that purpose is what's what he is going to teach his followers about. Um, very much this life is the first part of a soul's life and the second part to be the one that begins after uh, the life on this world comes to an end so the, the, the concept of an afterlife again fundamentally intrinsic to all the teachings of islam everything uh, a muslim believes as we understand the religion today everything they do their actions resonate and are a feature of their judgment in the in the in the life to come so that's the second principle and the third is is about that god raises messengers i.e he raises people from amongst ourselves to convey guidance to them to, to, to convey guidance that uh, of a spiritual nature how to behave how to interact with others how to uh, connect with one's creator and um, of that muhammad is one and Muslims would argue the preeminent one, the, the the seal of the prophets, the the most exalted of all, and the one to whom the message of Islam was was, was to be discharged, and so those are the three principles that he he had, um, quite uh, fundamental, very important, but not the complete code of Islam, but everything can be rooted to these three kind of principles. Thank you, Sophie. Yeah, that's those are important points to make. And just coming back to your uh, first principle, which was uh, the unity of God Almighty. At that time, of course, in, in Arabia, in particular in Mecca, um, it was full of polyethys polytheism. Uh, we have records that there were, you know, over 360 idols in and around the Kaaba, which is um, the... Uh, house of God that Muslims believe was was uh, created or built by Adam and then rebuilt by Abraham. So that whole period and that whole society was very uh, much polytheism. Polytheism was was very much uh, prevalent. Uh, and Indeed. the Prophet and the Prophet Muhammad begins to talk about this Almighty God, this single. Uh, uh, universal uh, creator. Absolutely. So this is, I think, really important if we're looking ass assessing Prophet Islam as a revolutionary. The whole society, or the vast majority of it, because there were some Jews, there were some Christians, there were also some Zoroastrians and, and Sabians, other types of belief there, but in small number. But the vast majority of the tribes believed in the idols, and some tribes would have their own distinct idols, and there might be other idols that were preeminent over them but the whole society was geared around this this um, polytheistic society and you could see that if if the prophet of islam was coming with a with an uncompromising message of unity of god that, that if this message began to get conveyed wider it would automatically it would naturally start to uh, bump into principles of the wider society that he was going to uh, that he was a part of so you can see that there's already a tension beginning to form be between these very very early teachings that he's beginning to convey and what's going on in society around him mm -hmm. thank you Sophia. um so we've come to the end of this segment unfortunately um 
but please continue to join us in the next segment after this short break. We'll talk about the early companions and the early friends and relatives of Prophet Muhammad who uh, welcomed his message and joined him in this uh, religion of Islam. Join us straight after this short break. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbours. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbours with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasised consideration towards one neighbours so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbour would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbour might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbour should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favourite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbour. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbour is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbour. He asked people not to object to their neighbours driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbour. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you and welcome back to Around the Table where we're discussing the great revolutionaries. And in this episode, we are discussing the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, from the commencement of his uh, call, uh, call to prophethood. We spoke a little about the actual uh, revelations and uh, uh, the support he, he received from his noble wife, Hazrat Khadija. But Ahmed, perhaps you can share with us who his immediate uh, family was at that time and his close friends who supported him right from the outset, the pioneers, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you kind of uh, briefly touched upon some of the names, but uh, after Hadith Khadija, um, there were a number of um, pioneers, so-called pioneers, that uh, had accepted Islam very early on. Um, those some of these pioneers are very well known throughout uh, Islamic history because some of them are known as the Ashram Mubashra, which uh, I will touch upon what it means and what they and who these were. But just to go through a couple of these, um, starting with the very first, uh, I guess, person who accepted Islam outside the Holy Prophet Sallallahu family, which was Hazrat Usman bin Affan. Um, and for those uh, who know a little bit about Islamic history, they'll know that he was the third caliph after the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he accepted Islam at a quite young age, you could say, or at a um, ripe age of 30. He came from a um, different... Uh, tribe as to the Holy Prophet and the interesting aspect actually what I found in my research is that a lot of the early pioneers had come from various different tribes or um, tribes which kind of um, speak to the preaching of the Holy Prophet itself which means that he wasn't preaching to one particular tribe the fact that a lot of these uh, early pioneers came from different tribes speak to the fact that he was speaking to you know a wider population uh, around him um, after Hazrat Usman bin Affan um, the second person who had accepted Islam was Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf 
and he belonged to the tribe or dynasty of uh, Banu Zuhar, which was the dynasty of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu mother. He was an extraordinary man uh, with uh, who lived um, who at the age of 30 accepted Islam, but had lived to uh, the reign or until the Hazrat Usman's uh, Khalifud. The third after that was um, Saad bin Vakas, followed by Zubair bin Alvam and Talha bin Abdullah. All these, all these five, which I've just mentioned, were all part of Ashram al-Bashra. In other words, they included among the ten companions who were uh, especially given glad tidings of her entrance into paradise from the from the Holy Prophet ﷺ itself. Now, some of the listeners might have um, thought I've missed some of our um, some of the very early ones, early followers. But what I wanted to speak about Hazrat Abu Bakr, you could you know cover in maybe one or two episodes alone. But just a brief comment on his uh, conversion to accepting Islam. Um, which was a which kind of speaks about uh, Holy Prophet's uh, nickname, which was Amin, which means the truthful. So when Hazrat Abu Bakr had first found out that the Holy Prophet of Islam had, you could say, you know, started Islam or he was preaching about the um, God, he um, confronted him. He went over to him and said, "Hey, I heard that you started a religion or you started speaking about um, you, you started." a new, new religion you could say but he the holy prophet started saying well yes um he tried to explain something but Abu Bakr went back to him and said no is that true and the holy prophet again was like well yes and then he asked again is that it's like a yes or no answer and the holy prophet uh went back to him and said yes that is true and Abu Bakr immediately said i accept you this itself speaks to uh, speaks a lot about an individual's, I guess, truthfulness, an individual's background, how someone has known someone for all their life. The fact that without even wanting to hear what it was, the fact that he had spent most of his childhood, you could say, or most of his life with him, he kind of knew what kind of individual that person was. He accepted Islam straight away. Yeah, it's an extraordinary uh, episode, isn't it, uh, Ahmed, that um, at the time of the, the call of the Holy Prophet, as you said, um, Hazrat Abu Bakr, his companion, is away and comes, and he doesn't want to listen to any any discussion, any arguments, any um, points uh, of reflection. He just wants to have the yes-no answer, you know, has God spoken to you? If you claim prophethood, as I hear. Um, and upon the affirmative, he just declares his uh, complete conviction to the Holy Prophet. Um, uh, extraordinary. And and uh, uh, he goes on to be one of the greatest leaders of the uh, Muslim community. In fact, after the demise of the Holy Prophet, he becomes the first caliph as well and we're blessed that our uh, spiritual leader his holiness as at Ahmed, has been um, recounting episodes in the life of uh, the caliphs and Hazrat Abu Bakr in particular and he's given countless hours of uh, uh, Friday sermons just on the life of uh, this this blessed noble personality that was Hazrat Abu Bakr Sadiq. The word Sadiq means truthful which speaks about the character of the uh, of Hazrat Abu Bakr himself. Indeed, and um, you mentioned the early pioneers as well, and it should also be mentioned that a lot of them were uh, converted as a direct result of Hazrat Abu Bakr Sadiq's preaching and conveying the message. Uh, so um, he not only accepted the Holy Prophet Muhammad as, as the Prophet, but he then conveyed that message to uh, the likes of Hazrat Osman, etc. Let's talk about um, some of the youngsters at that time as well in the household of the Holy Prophet. So we, we have his nephew there, Hazrat Ali, who used to live in the household. Can you tell us a little bit about him and, and his acceptance of the message? I think it's worth just just reflecting on the household in general because the Prophet of Islam came back with this message and then on to um, 
been instructed or commanded to convey this message to uh, his nearest ones and of course the people most near to him were those of his household and perhaps um, above all was his wife in in many respects because she was the first believer and she'd always been one who um, who supported his prophetic mission and and I think that speaks to Obviously, it speaks to her character. I think you gave a good outline of her character at the start of this episode, as well as in earlier programs. Um, but it's also about the the importance of a real partnership, a real companionship uh, that Muhammad was blessed with in in the marriage to uh, her holiness Khadija, because she gave him the support that he needed in order to actually go on to to preach to not just his near and dear ones but those who he had no relation to so without that perhaps he didn't he may may have been missing something you know one element that he needed um in order to to complete his mission complete his mission so there's a very important role that she's she's playing perhaps in the background perhaps it's not been as publicized as some of these other companions has been throughout all the um the history of islam but one that's very fundamental and, and integral to the ultimate success of of Muhammad's mission. Indeed, and um, that's a really important point. And uh, whenever the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, um, mentioned the the name of Khadija after her demise, he he was tearful. And in fact, he, there is a narration that he related that. Um, Khatija was uh, his best supporter. She supported him um, when uh, times were tough, and she supported him with with her love and her uh, uh, possessions, her money, her influence. Um, and and um, uh, you're right. Uh, perhaps more uh, can be said on uh, Hazrat Khatija. I was just actually going to say that um, you know the the purity of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was such, and we certainly find this um, today, um, that when somebody is so righteous and so pure, there are two forms of, of love that one has for them. Uh, the, the love of being around that individual, uh, him, him or herself, you know, there's, a, there's that love where you feel peace and contentment, but there is also, from a spiritual perspective, the spiritual love, where it attracts you to goodness and it purifies your heart. And certainly, um, I know from my personal experience, and I'm sure we all have this experience as Ahmadi Muslims, when we meet or are in the company or in the close quarters of His Holiness, Hazrat Nizam Surama, the present head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, there's this um, magnetic attraction and in fact, it's not just uh, Ahmadi Muslims. Um, all members of society, depending on whatever rank they are from, who have met His Holiness, have all shared similar sentiments that they always feel, um, you know, very happy and 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 spiritually, you know, elevated, or they feel there is something very special about being in the vicinity of His Holiness. And you know, this is um, to do with the spiritual element. So that spiritual love was very, very, very close between uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his blessed wife, Hazrat Khadija. Thank you, Atik. Should we move on to the uh, the, the youngsters that uh, we mentioned earlier who were part of the household then? So we have uh, Hazrat Ali, who was the nephew of the Holy Prophet and son of uh, uh, Hazrat Abu Talib. So uh, His Holiness Ali um, was actually a member of the Prophet of Islam's household and uh, he was roughly the age of 13 when um, the Prophet of Islam returned from re receiving that very first revelation and uh, he, he, was, he, accepted, uh, he accepted Islam then. So in many respects, he was the first man uh, to accept the message of Islam. Um, and uh, he was very young, though, still a child, and um, but he would go on to have a, a very distinguished career throughout and life throughout the um, the, the Prophet's call and uh, beyond as well. And, you know, he'd go on to have some notable 
you know, he's got a, a long biography associated with him. But uh, one notable, you know, he, he was a young man who was re- ready to sacrifice everything for the Prophet of Islam. And that was evidenced when, you know, in some 13 years from the time that he accepts the message of Islam, uh, the Prophet receives an instruction to um, to emigrate from uh, the town of his of the town of his home from Makkah to Medina and uh, at that time the Prophet of Islam um, he asked Ali to be, be a kind of decoy or uh, or um, uh, to, to distract the attentions of those that were seeking to prevent not only prevent the Prophet emigrating at that time but to even kill him it was it was a, a quite a risky endeavor that he took on but he was obviously he had full faith in the prophet's guidance and his mission but you know prepared to very much it seems to lay down his life in in order to ensure that the prophet uh, emigrates from Makkah safely so a very distinguished person again um uh, accepted islam very early on in his life and very old, early on in the, the prophet's career uh, prophet's life uh, yes indeed and um, we do have the um freed slave um, uh, Zad bin Haritha. He was actually the fourth uh, Muslim to accept Islam. So after the Hazrat Khadija, Hazrat Ali, um, Hazrat Abu Bakr, it was Zad um, bin Haritha that accepted Islam. So Hazrat Zad's got a very, um, again, a very different and a very interesting background. So he was actually a slave of Hazrat Khadija's household for several years. But um, Later, when Hazrat Muhammad married Hazrat Khadija, he freed the slave and you could say legally adopted Zayd as his own son. And Zayd has actually has got a very uh, prominent uh, background in Islamic history as well. He was one of the early commanders of a Muslim army that led uh, early Muslim expeditions around um, Arabia. Um, he was one very interesting incident that took place, um, I guess you could say early in his childhood was as he was a slave, um, his paternal pair, uh, father found out that uh, he had been living in Mecca in the household of uh, early Prophet And then he went to him and said, uh, basically, you know, oh, I've been looking for you all my life, um, you know, come back to us you know I'll, I'll kind of offer you anything you want just to for you to come back and he little did he know that you know Zaid has been staying with the Holy Prophet out of his own consent and he's been staying there just because of you know of the love to the Holy Prophet and t- again on the point that uh, Atik was mentioning earlier when you are surrounded with a particular I guess spiritual power you could say or element around you it attracts you and whether you are a freed slave or you know and you want to escape go back to your parents or whether you are a um, rich uh, individual you want to be remain close to that individual person it acts you it kind of binds you and acts you and that's exactly what happened with uh, Zaid that even despite his father coming to him saying come back to us he said no I'm happy here I want to stay here and his father had left but his father was pretty um was happy that he got to see him and that his son was in a you could say in a good state and uh, was happy where he was thank you Ahmed. so uh, we've spoken a, b- a little bit about the immediate um, friends and, and relatives of the holy prophet who accept his uh, declaration of faith um how did this declaration actually come to pass? Can someone share with us what this initiation ceremony was? I believe it's a, it was a very simple um, ceremony as such with very profound words that were uttered by the Holy Prophet Muhammad. And then the person uh, would repeat these. Uh, yes, of course. Um, <clears throat> the initiation is referred to in Arabic as, as uh, bayit. Um, now the method that was employed by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, was that he would take that person's hand who was going to pledge the allegiance or initiation. Um, he would take that person's hand into his own hand and would seek a declaration in 
uh, certain predetermined words and would take the oath that he would obey every um, good decision or right decision made by the Prophet of Islam. In the Declaration of Islam, after clear mention of the principal elements, an oath would be then taken. Uh, for example, um, we find in the book Seal of the Prophets, um, this declaration, the wording is given as, uh, I shall believe in God as one and without partner. I shall not indulge in polytheism and shall abstain from evil deeds such as stealing, adultery, murder and lying, and so on and so forth. Now, while taking this initiation from women, the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would seek the same declaration, but would not actually take the hands of women into his own. Rather, this was a verbal oath of allegiance, and this would generally suffice. So this this was the mm -hmm. method um, employed. Thank you, Atik. Yeah, so it was a very simple um, method, but very profound and it's uh, we're blessed to, to be members of the MDM Muslim community and we follow this same method of initiation don't we at uh, taking uh, bayat or the initiation at the hand of his holiness Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad the Caliph uh, and present head of the worldwide MDM Muslim community it, it mirrors exactly this same principle so let's move on then. Um, this small uh, band of individuals accept the Holy Prophet. Uh, what happens next? It's reported that the Holy Prophet in the initial early days keeps his preaching um, quite secret. Uh, and that period is for a, a period of up to three years where he's um, only sharing his message with um a small number of individuals who'd like to just expand on that. Yeah, I, yes, I can touch on that. So the interesting point which you mentioned was that, yes, uh, it was very limited uh, and it was amongst a handful of individuals um, from the Holy Prophet. Now, one interesting part was this was uh, this secrecy was maintained to the extent that at times that even Muslims themselves remain unaware who had accepted Islam or not. And the reason behind this particular is that Muslims generally conceal their religion, and news would rarely reach the chief, you know, would reach the chiefs of a Quraysh. Even though at that time there was no large opposition, and when people did find out, the resistance was, you know, limited. Um, um, so initially, um, there was a concealment um, as far as preaching was concerned. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, primarily in these early days, kept his preaching secret for approximately uh, three years, as, as Rafi has mentioned. But as such, in this era, there was no specific center, of course, where the Muslims could gather. And rather, here, the Prophet of Islam would meet the seekers of truth uh, and who would come as a result of his own preaching endeavors and other Muslims into his own home or Sometimes they would meet actually on the outskirts of town for their own safety and well-being. Um, this secrecy was maintained to the extent that, for example, at times, even Muslims themselves remained unaware of the Islam of one another. So they were not aware that one was a Muslim and, and, and from the other. Now, Muslims generally conceal their religion and news would rarely reach the chieftains of the Quraysh. So this would was a... Uh, uh, an opportunity, or, or rather a necessity, should I say, to protect uh, the small companions, the small number of companions, rather, of the Prophet of Islam. Uh, but you're, it's interesting to note that in, in those days, even if the news did in fact reach the members of the Quraysh, generally Muslims were not opposed, and their opposition, opposition in fact, was quite limited to uh, mockery, uh, and it was not taken seriously at all. Um, so, you know, this is how those early days um, panned out um, as such. Thank you, Atik. And then after those three years where, as we've said, limited preaching takes place um, and um, a level of secrecy is maintained by those uh, who have accepted the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, his message, there is a revelation that comes down in the fourth year of his 
profited. Uh, and I'll read the English translation of that. This is Surah Al-Hijr, chapter 15, verse 95, in which it says, O Prophet, declare openly that with which thou art commanded. And so after that revelation, the Holy Prophet then kind of almost throws away the the barriers, as it were, and he, and he then starts this uh, campaign of spreading the message far and wide. Uh, and there's a really powerful incident that takes place um, uh, uh, shortly after this this uh, revelation to the Holy Prophet, where he invites uh, the tribes around Mecca. Um, Adit, do you want to share with us that? That incident, because it is narrated in many of the biographies uh, of the Holy Prophet. Now, with regards to the uh, commencement of public preaching, um, a state of silent and concealed preaching, uh, as I've spoken about, was still in practice. And approximately uh, three years had passed since uh, the commission of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now, it is actually in the fourth year, uh, when it, the fourth year began, when the divine command um, from God Almighty was revealed that, O Prophet, declare openly that with which thou art commanded. And shortly, shortly thereafter, the following verse was revealed, and warn thy nearest kinsmen. Now, when these injunctions were revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he stood up actually on Mount Safa, and he called out to every tribe of the Quraysh at that time by name in a resonating voice, and when they had all gathered, the Prophet said, O Quraysh, if I inform you that behind this hillock is a large army ready to wage an assault upon you, will you believe me? Apparently this uh, seemed unlikely, but they all responded saying, yes, most definitely we should believe you, for we have always found you truthful in speech. And of course we know this to be the character of the Prophet of Islam, where he was very truthful, very humble, and people loved what they saw and loved what they heard and they believed him to be truthful but when they said yes most definitely we shall believe you the prophet responded that hearken then i inform you that the army of allah's chastisement approaches believe in god that you may be saved now when the Quraysh actually heard these words they very sadly burst into laughter and abu lahab who was actually the paternal uncle of the prophet himself um, said that, Muhammad, woe unto you, have you gathered us for this? And then they all dispersed, mocking, sadly, um, you know, what the Prophet had said. So uh, this is what occurred at that time on Mount Safa. Thank you, Adi. So now uh, the commandment has been given to declare openly um, to all uh, the message of uh, of Islam, and of course the tribes mock the Holy Prophet, uh, not least the, the his paternal uncle Abu Lahab, who is the leader of uh, uh, one of the tribes there, uh, leading the mocking. Sadly, we've uh, come to the end of the time for this episode, but uh, God willing, we will uh, continue in our next episode expounding on what happened when the public preaching takes place uh, and the persecution that uh, the followers encounter uh, and the uh, states thereafter. So don't miss the next episode of Around the Table where we will continue to talk about the greatest revolutionary, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, thank you very much and join us next time. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you.